listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Starting today and the next four consecutive Sundays, we are going to study the journey of the life of Jesus from the cradle to the cross. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to cover some territory. And what, what I'd like to do is look at some significant events in the life of Christ that paved the way to the cross. Because I believe that we will see that there are some significant events in the life of Christ that, that prepared him for that cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Amen? We're going to celebrate that whole, that whole weekend, man. It's going to be a big weekend around here. And, and the resurrection, it just means that much more when you understand the path that was taken to get there. When you understand the road that Christ had to walk to get to the, 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 the resurrection, when you understand that, that it went through the cross, it makes you appreciate it that much more. I'm telling you, when, when we get to the end of the series, I hope we understand with our whole hearts what Christ went through for us, what, what he did so that we could be redeemed. The road to the resurrection has to go through the cross. There's no other way. Because think about it. There is no resurrection without death. That means something has to die. In order for something to be resurrected, something must die first. And and it's a quest that that Christ invites us into. Listen, Listen to the words of Christ, Matthew 10 and 38. He said, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's what he said. He, so, so now he's, he's telling us, we, we've got to take up the cross too. Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8 and 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You get to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Here it is. Here's, here's Luke's version. Daily. He said every day. Every day you've got to take up your cross. Every day and follow me. I, I love that, that Luke includes that. He says every day you've got to pick up that cross and you've got to follow Jesus. His quest to the cross is a path that we too must journey. But, but understand this, church. His, his path to the cross began long before he carried a tree on his back. That's not when it started. It, it began before he, he stood before Pilate. His, his journey to the cross began before an angry mob was shouting out, crucify him, crucify him, long before that, because his path to the cross began even before he was born. The path to the cross, the journey to the cross, his quest it, it started before he was born. It, it actually began when humanity sinned against God. And that single act of disobedience put the wheels in motion that would cause the Son of God to feel such compassion for us. Don't miss it. He felt so much compassion for us that he would leave the throne of heaven to become one of us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. He became one of us. Now, many babies have grown up to become kings, but only one king ever left the throne and became a baby. That's your Jesus. 
So I want to start in Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to read a couple of passages out of Luke chapter 2 today, so you can leave your Bibles open. How many of you have your Bible with you today? Say amen. amen. How many of you have a digital device today that you're using as your Bible? Say amen. amen. It's okay. Jesus still loves you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now this is going to feel a lot like Christmas. Just stay with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, one thing I want you to, to realize, because it seems so awkward to read these verses this time of year, the one thing I want you to understand is that we're actually closer to the actual birth date of Christ right now than we were in December. Most theologians believe it would probably have been in the spring sometime. I, I'm not trying to mess up your your Christmas celebration. We celebrate Christmas big. We celebrate the birth of Christ big. I don't care what time of year you do it. It just needs to be celebrated. It always amazes me, though, how someone's life can spiral out of control. You've seen it. I've seen it. We've all seen it. Someone's life Somewhere along the way, there's a, there's a misstep. There's a wrong turn. Something happens with that life. We, we, we've, we've watched it. We've watched this innocent baby that when it's first born, you look at it and it's so sweet. I mean, it can't do anything on its own. It relies on everyone else. But how does that baby grow up to become a menace of society? Or, or, or think about that sweet child that goes through life, but somewhere along the way they develop this appetite for destruction. Or, or that, that precious adolescent that becomes a danger to themselves or a danger to others. How? How does it happen? What, what goes wrong in someone's life? And it leaves us scratching our heads and, and wondering what happened. What went wrong with his or her life? There is a progression in some lives that just does not make sense. I'm sure, I am certain that there were people during the first century that knew Jesus as a child. Neighbors. People that, that bought furniture from his carpenter father, Joseph. They, they knew little Jesus. Aunts, uncles. Rabbis, that they knew Jesus, they knew who he was, and they watched this little kid as he was growing up, and, and, and I have to think that 30 years later, now we're going to be moving up and down the, the timeline here, back and forth a little bit, but, but I have to think that 30 years later, they, they have to have wondered, what happened? What happened to Jesus? Because he was such a good kid. Uh, uh, Mary and Joseph's son was a good kid. He was so polite, well-mannered. I mean, he memorized Bible verses. He's a pretty good kid. 
He memorized Old Testament law. He, he had it memorized. Such a godly young man. No, really, he was. It, he was divine. Like, he wasn't just godly. He was God. That's Jesus. And I am certain, church, that there were some great expectations on his life. Like, like people looked at him and thought, he's going to make something one day. He's going to make something of himself one day. This kid, he, he, he's got a great destiny ahead of him. I know there were people that had expectations on his life. And little Jesus grew up. And, and Scripture tells us that later he becomes a rabbi. He is a teacher of the law. He, he, he is teaching God's word. And at first, there's, there's a dozen. There's, there's a dozen men that, that follow him, his disciples. There's a dozen that, that start following him. And then, before you know it, there's, there's dozens that are following him. And the next thing you know, there's hundreds of people that are following him. And then you reach this, this, this crescendo of 5,000 men, not including the women and children, that follow Jesus. He had made something of himself. He, he, he was, was, was successful by the world's terms. But, but then one day it happened. One day something went wrong because the rumor started. Anybody had, ever had anybody start a rumor about you? Three of us? Good, good, okay. The rest of you saints in the room. One day the rumor started. And, and the rumor sounded something like this. He's hanging out. With sinners and tax collectors. That's the accusation. Like these are people you wouldn't want your children to hang out with. He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And people start talking about it. Jesus addressed it in Matthew chapter 9 verse 12. It says when Jesus heard this he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. As they accused him of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. So in other words, he was intentionally going after the loss. Intentionally going after the loss. And some people don't like it. Let me tell you, church, there are some people that have left this church because they don't like how we intentionally go after the loss. I'm not going to apologize for that either. We will continue to go after the loss. I've said it from the beginning. I'll continue saying it. DCC is going to be a roadblock on the way to hell. If they want to go to hell, they're going to have to go around our love to get there. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because he was intentional about it. He was intentionally going after the lost. The, the sick don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Or, 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 or the healthy don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now, imagine the rumor mill on the night that Jesus was arrested. I mean, there's some people that didn't like him. And they're like, I told you so. I told you this was the path he was on. That night that he was arrested, I picture it blowing up. Facebook blew up. Like everybody, everybody. Instagram was a ruckus. I mean, they went nuts posting their reels and everything. I mean, it was keyboard warriors were losing their minds on social media. They, they probably said things like this. He was supposed to be a man of God. I, I, I bet you some of them said, I, I bet he's got this big, nice house on a lake somewhere while his supporters struggle to make ends meet. I bet some people were posting, 
that coffee shop that his ministry started, it's a money laundering scheme. That's what it is. No, I'm sorry. That's us. That was the accusation made. I'm sorry. I got confused there. That wasn't Jesus. (laughs) Can you believe it? But you know they were talking about him. You know it. The rumors were flying. He was arrested. How did this happen? So it, it leads us to ask this question. How does a small town kid from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, top of his class in the local synagogue, how does that kid end up on a criminal's cross? Because that's who they crucified, criminals. How does that kid end up here? What did that journey look like? I I think it's worth us exploring. I think we need to dive into this. I think we need to understand this. We don't know much about his childhood, but we know enough to realize how it shaped him. To start with, as our text revealed to us, he had very humble beginnings. Jesus was born into... um, a situation that wasn't ideal. That's probably the best way we could say it. it. It just wasn't an ideal situation. I mean, from what everyone else realized, his mother was a knocked-up teenager. Uh, he was rejected before he was even born. There was no room in the inn. So there's rejection even before he's born. We don't have space for you. We don't have room for you. And the only people that showed up to celebrate his birth were the low lives of society, the shepherds. Like nobody wanted to hang out with the shepherds. Nobody trusted the shepherds. They were, they were prone to, to stealing things when they came through your town. Nobody wanted to be around shepherds. They're, they were nasty. They smelled like sheep. They were dirty. No one wanted to hang out with shepherds. Besides his mom and dad, that's the only people that showed up for his birth, to celebrate his birth. I know some of you are thinking, well, the wise men were there. No, they weren't. They were two years later. Two years later, the wise men showed up. The only people that showed up to celebrate his birth we're the low life of society. A church, that's enough to scar a kid right there. That'll mess somebody up. We celebrate the manger at, at Christmas. We put our nativity scenes out. And we put that little manger out. And what we don't realize is what a manger symbolized to a first century Jew. It wasn't what we see. We look at it and we're like, oh, it's a bed for Jesus. Not a, not a first century Jew. It, the manger was a feeding trough. If, if a first century Jew was to walk up to our nativity scenes, look at your whatnots you know, on, on, your, on your table or whatever, if they, if they look at that, they're going to look at that and go, what, what, why do you have a miniature cow buffet on your dining room table? Like, what, what's that about? Why, why do you have a slop container? They go out front. They look in your front yard. Why is there a plastic feeding trough in your front yard with a baby in it? Why? It wouldn't make sense to them. See, on Easter church, we celebrate an empty tomb. But before you can celebrate an empty tomb, you first have to celebrate an empty manger. It's so important that we understand this. Because there are some people that they refuse to grow up They're still attached to the umbilical cord. They're still in the manger. They're still in the crib. Mentally, they refuse to move past that because of life circumstances, and they're stuck. I praise God that our Jesus didn't stay in the manger. And before we can celebrate an empty tomb, we've got to celebrate an empty manger. Jesus didn't allow his humble beginnings to keep him from fulfilling his destiny. 
And there are too many people that allow the hand that life dealt them dictate their future. And life, listen, life deals you the cards, but how you play those cards is up to you. And so I know the excuses. I've heard them. I was born poor. I was born underprivileged. I, I, I'm overlooked. I'm, I'm, I'm disadvantaged. I was left out. I'm not talented enough. I'm not beautiful enough. No one ever picks me. No, no one trusts me. I didn't get the, the, the raise. I didn't get the promotion. Uh, you know, time and time again, we feel overlooked. We feel like we're not qualified. And, and we come up with these lists of excuses. But I thank God that Jesus did not allow the circumstances surrounding his birth to dictate his future. Because it's like he understood that there was a mission. And the next time that we read about him, now he's an adolescent. Thanks to Luke, we get a glimpse of a 12-year-old Jewish boy named Jesus. Named Jesus. And, and, and I want you to listen to this in, in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Listen to this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended... As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And Mary slapped him across the head. And No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. doesn't. That's how I would have responded. But... He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that, that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, now listen, we don't know how many times Jesus had been to Jerusalem up until that point. The scripture does not make us privy to that. We don't know. We have no idea. I'm not even going to begin to, to assume that. But, but we know that after he was born, we know that his, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they took him to Jerusalem, to the temple, to be presented before the Lord, just like we do with child dedication. We use that scripture that Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to, to the temple in order to present him before the Lord. We know that, that he was there then. Um, but but. We know that his parents, according to the text that we just read, his parents went to Jerusalem every year is what it said. His parents went every year for the Feast of Passover. Whether he accompanied them or not, we do not know. But this particular Passover was different. It it was imperative that Jesus go to this one because Jesus was now 12 years old. And this is significant in Jewish culture. He was 12 years old. And at 12 years old... A boy was in his final year of preparation until he becomes a son of the law, a son of the law. And so this was a significant time, a formative time for him. Today, a young Jewish boy turning 13 celebrates bar mitzvah. Bar means son. Mitzvah means commandment, son of commandment, which is son of the law. Same thing. And what happens is this signifies that he is now entering into full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. In other words, soon Jesus would be accountable for his own actions both socially and religiously. 
We know this. He is accountable for his, his actions now socially and religiously because at the end it says that, that his, he, he was now subject to his parents. Like, like he had to obey his parents and he went back with them to their home. So he was now accountable for his actions both socially and religiously. Now, I know what some of the parents in the room, parents of 12-year-olds or somewhere around the age of 12, I know what you're thinking right now. I know you just feel so disheartened. I mean, like, I watch star athletes and musicians that do things at a young age, and I look at my children, I'm just like, what a disappointment you are. <laughs> I mean, my, one of my favorite players, Jason Tatum, plays for the Celtics. He's, he's, he's younger than my children, and he's, he's setting all kinds of records and this is a great year, and I, I just said the night I looked at him on TV and all that he's accomplished, and I just looked over at, at my kids, and I'm like, what happened? What happened? And I can relate to you is what I mean. I mean, this is, this is my heart being poured out for you because here's what happens. It's hit or miss with most 12-year-olds. It is. It's hit or miss with most 12-year-olds. Some have no clue what they want to be when they grow up. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's part of life. So if you're worried about your 12-year-old and you're like, they, they're clueless. Yeah. Some are. Some are clueless. One day they want to be a professional baseball player. The next day they want to be the president. Two completely different occupations. One day they want to be a doctor. The next day they want to be a professional TikToker. And you're like, what? what? What's wrong with you? Like, I didn't raise you this way. Why? Why did you end up like this? Some 12-year-olds are scattered when it comes to their future, and parents relax. It's fine. But every once in a while, you'll find that one that is focused and determined. They just don't live under your roof. You want them to, but you're like, man, why can't you be more like him? Every once in a while, you'll come across one. I, I know in our home, I joke around a lot, and I am proud of my kids. They're, I mean, Caleb's no Jason Tatum, but, 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 um, but my daughter, my daughter, she knew around 12 or 13 years old, she knew in her heart of hearts that she wanted to be a children's pastor. She even, in seventh grade, she, she wrote a report in seventh grade outlining that she wanted to be a children's pastor and that she was going to go to Lee University, a Christian college. And she became a school teacher because mom and dad explained to her, like, we planted a church during a recession. And I watched as other churches were laying staff members off. And, and I, I, we looked at our daughter and said, listen, you're going to have something to fall back on. Should, should finances around a church ever dry up, you're going to have something to fall back on. And so we, we convinced her to, to be a teacher. She probably hates us for it, but, but she is a teacher so that she could fall back on that if she ever needed to. Steve Jobs wrote, and yes, Kendall, I'm comparing you to Steve Jobs right now, so there you go. <laughs> Steve Jobs wrote about his, his early fascination with computers, and in his autobiography, he said these words. He says, I was 13 years old and already knew what I wanted to do. Most 13-year-old men, boys, they don't even know what they want to eat for breakfast. This guy knew what he wanted to do, and thank God that he did. We're glad today that Steve Jobs knew what he wanted to do, right? Except for you Android users. <laughs> it's not even proper grammar. It should be Android, not Android. Like, it's horrible English, right? Some of you in the room have no idea. You're like, what? No. <laughs> 
and you had no idea what you wanted to be at 12. <laughs> Jesus, guys, Jesus, he knew what he wanted to do with his life at the age of 12. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. It was there. He knew what he wanted. He, and he sums it all up in one verse, one sentence. Listen to what he says, Luke 2 and 49. It says, and he, 12-year-old Jesus, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The King James Version says, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Didn't you know? I mean, you say you're looking for me. Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? It's interesting to me, though, that Mary, Mary tells him, she says, your father and I, have been searching for you in great distress. Jesus, you've had us worried. We thought you were with everyone else, our whole caravan that was traveling. We thought you were with us, and, and we went a day's journey, and, and we had to turn around and come back, and we were worried about you. You've had us in great distress, and who wouldn't be? I mean, they lost God. I mean, so this is serious business, right? They lost 12-year-old little God. And, 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 and this, and, and it's, it's so strange. She says, didn't you know that your father and I would be searching for you in great distress? And he answers her by referring to his heavenly father. And he says, I must be about my father's, capitalized father, I must be about my father's business. She says, your father and I have been, been worried about you in great distress. And he says, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? In other words... Mom, I know Joseph raised me, and I'm thankful for that. I don't mean any disrespect, but mom, I know who my real dad is. And like father, like son, and my heart is for people. You see, it's time that some of you right now that you get past the DNA that brought you into this world and you start trusting the Father that breathed new life into you because you didn't have a hope or a future coming through your family's DNA, but God spoke into your life. God, God breathed new life into you and now you have that hope and you have a future. You might have come through your family, but they don't order your steps. He is who orders your steps. And Jesus was determined to be about the father's business. It's as if he was saying, Mom, I'm not going to be a carpenter for the rest of my life. That's good for Joseph, but that's not my life's calling. There is a calling on my life, and I want to make that clear to you and anyone else that is listening right now. It's my father's business that I must be about. So it leads us to ask, what was his father's business? What, what was that? What's, what's his father's business? And, and and Peter lets us in on this in 1 Peter 2 and 24. He gives us the answer. It says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. See, Peter says, you want to know what the Father's business, what Jesus was up to? It, it, was, it was him carrying his sins in, our, our sins in his body on the cross so that we wouldn't have to die and that we could live forever. And, and, and by the way, by his wounds, you are healed. Peter said, that's the Father's business. We, we, you, me, we were the Father's business, and business was good for us. For us, it's good. It's a good deal for us. 
And he fulfilled that calling on the cross when he said in John 19 and 30, he said, it is finished. And the Bible says that then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was finished. What was finished? The father's business was now finished. Jesus began with the end in mind. At 12 years old, he had the end in mind. He already knew what had to be accomplished for me and for you. He began with the end in mind. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 tells us, Though he was God, it doesn't deny his deity. He's God. Listen to this. He is divine. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How does a little boy, so innocent, so good, so well-mannered, so, I mean, so godly, how does he end up on a criminal's cross? It's because he was following the call of God on his life. He was fulfilling the destiny that, that the Father had laid out for him. You see, there's this, this old Southern Gospel song. I was raised on Southern Gospel. Now, listen, I love this. I prefer what we do here. That, that speaks to me. I don't know. It just it, it is what it is. But I was raised on Southern Gospel. Yesterday, I had to travel to speak at a conference down in Bradenton. I left early yesterday morning. And I started off the morning, Pastor Andrew, I was listening to DC Talk because I was trying to introduce your daughter to DC Talk. She loves Toby Mac, and you've never introduced her to DC Talk. That's a story for another day, but we're going to talk about that. <laughs> started off there, and I listened to old DC Talk for about two hours. But that last ride, Roy, I pulled out some Southern Gospel. Man, I was raised on Southern Gospel. I know, I know, I know how much you love it. And there's this old Southern Gospel song. And it says these words, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When Jesus was on the cross, I was on his mind. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. You're the father's business. I'm the father's business. He was so concerned about me. He was so concerned about you that at 12 years old, he declares it. Mom, didn't you know that I would be about my heavenly father's business? And that business is people. And he knew at 12 years old that he was going to have to die for the sins of humanity. And when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The journey to the cross has to go through a 12-year-old Jewish kid that knew his purpose in life. But what's strange is that for the next 18 years, the life of Christ is vague, it is quiet, the scriptures don't tell us anything about it. We don't know anything about his life for the next 18 years. It's just, we're, we're not made known to it. We don't know if he had acne as a teenager. I'm sure if he did, as soon as that first, you know, zit popped up, he's like, be healed. <laughs> like the clearest complexion, I'm, I'm certain. Probably not, but. We don't know if his voice changed like Peter Brady. I mean, I don't know. You know I don't, we don't know. We, we're not made privy to that. We don't know if his friends tempted him at spring break. They're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you change that water to wine? And he's like, no, 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 no. Guys, my time has not yet come, for we are not yet 21. We don't know. We don't know if he made the swim team at NHS, Nazareth High School. We have no idea. We have no, sorry. Bad joke. But, but if he did, if he did make the swim team, think about it. While everybody else is swimming, he's like walking on water. Like, I mean, it's just amazing, right? 
We have no idea. We don't know anything about his life until he's around 30 years old and he's baptized by his cousin John, another rabbi. We don't know anything. And at that moment, we hear the approval of his heavenly father who says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's where we, we pick up at. But for all those years, we don't know. For all we know, he worked in the family business for 18 years and he became a carpenter like Joseph because Mark 6 and 3 says that people ask, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? So people are asking, is this not the carpenter? So it, apparently he probably followed in, his, in, in Joseph's footsteps, at least for, for a little while. As a matter of fact, we never hear anything about Joseph again in Scripture after Jesus at 12 years old. We, we never hear anything else about Joseph. Chances are he, he probably died. Mary probably killed him. She was like, you left Jesus in Jerusalem at the temple and about gave me a heart attack. You're the one that lost God. I can do better by myself, mister. And she, you know, gone. No, I don't know that. I don't know. Catholics hate it when I say something like that. They're like, don't mess with the holy couple. And so, <laughs> Chances are Jesus probably had to become the man of the house and provide for the family. That's probably what happened. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2 says that at 12 years old, he went back to Nazareth and was sub submissive to them. At 12 years old, he... He does the responsible thing. He does what has to be done. You see, sometimes when you, when you, when you know your call in life, you know that, that, that dream, you know that destiny, sometimes it's hard just to do the responsible thing because you, you know what God's laid before you. You know what he's put in your heart. You know the great things that, that you want to accomplish, but you can't do it because you've got to provide. You, you've got children to take care of. You've got to do what's right. And the Bible says that Jesus did what was right at 12 years old. And he returned back to Nazareth and, and was submissive to them. It, it's got to be tough to know your purpose at 12 years old and then know that you can't fulfill it until you turn 30. And for 18 years, he held on to his calling, waiting for that right moment to seize his destiny. You might be working for the man right now. And, and you're longing to own your own business. Stay faithful. Listen to me. Do what's right and just stay faithful. Your dream will show itself. I promise. You, you may have postponed your career to raise children. Maybe that was the best answer for your home and for your family. So you postpone your career. But I promise you, stay faithful and your purpose will manifest. You, you, you might be in prison right now, locked up behind bars. But I promise you, there's no prison wall that he can't break through. God's purpose for your life will manifest. It will come through. Church, you may feel like you are far from your calling, but keep your head up because I promise you, your father has not forgotten it. He still has the matter in mind. He still knows the dream and the purpose and the plan that he has for your life. And Philippians 1 and 6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's not done. He's not finished. It might be 18 years of, of, of you just being on the back 40, you, you, 18 years of you being in solitaire. 18 years of you just not knowing exactly how this is going to turn out. But I promise you, if you'll be faithful, God will bring it to pass because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. They may not have talked to you for years. Like, you're not on their radar. Maybe they don't consider you relevant. Not at all. 
Let me tell you, it doesn't matter if they're talking about you or not. It doesn't matter if they remember you or not. When God is ready, God will plant the thought of you in their mind so deep that they will do nothing else except talk about you. That when the time comes for you to step into your destiny, you might feel like, man, I am nowhere near being in, 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 in God's sights for, for, for a blessing. Like, I, I'm nowhere near that in my life. Listen, God will paint a target on you and he will bombard you with blessing. All you have to do is be faithful during this dry spout. Just be, this, this season right now of obscurity, just be faithful during that time because God has a purpose and a plan and God will bring it to, to pass, but you've just got to be faithful. I, I read this story of, of a group of passengers that were sitting on an airport shuttle and they were heading to their connecting flight. And, and the bus driver was told over the radio, uh, the voice said, hold in place. So, so he, he stopped the bus. He just brought it to a stop. They said, hold in place. And he stopped. And, and it looked like everyone on the bus was going to miss their flight. And, and this was just too much for one particular passenger to handle. He, he just couldn't put up with it. And he exploded at the driver, insisting that, that he ignore the orders to, to hold in place or risk the wrath of a lawsuit. Just at that moment, an airline employee came running up out of breath. He's carrying a briefcase. And, and looking at the angry man, the airline employee triumphantly held up the briefcase. And he said, sir, he said, you left your briefcase. And I heard you mention how important your meeting was. And I figured you were going to need this handed that angry man his briefcase verse 52 says that during his years of waiting that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man you don't get it you don't get it during his years of for 18 years waiting to walk into his destiny for 18 years he grew he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man I want to speak something over some of you that are in a waiting season right now you're in a holding pattern God is opening doors that no man can shut. God is shutting doors that no man can open that you don't have any business going through. God is preparing the blessing for you right now. L let me just speak this over your life. During this season, if you'll just be faithful and you'll allow God to do his work, you will increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I've watched God do it in my own life where he has allowed favor from heaven and from man to flood my life. But you've got to be faithful. You've got to be faithful. You can't give up. You can't lose hope. If a 12-year-old kid in first century Nazareth can know what his purpose in life is and be patient until it's time for him to fulfill that calling and it is a great calling the greatest of callings 
What an example he set for us. Just to be patient. Listen, it's, it's hard to be late for your own party when God is the party planner. He'll make sure you get there. You'll be celebrated. In due season, I promise you, it, all the pieces are going to work together. He'll get you there because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion from start to finish. From beginning to end. Father, I thank you that you included this rare detail in Scripture about the life of Jesus Christ. You included this, this instance of your 12-year-old son that left heaven and came to this earth that had a purpose, he had a mission, but you included this just to speak to hearts in this room today. God, I know it's hard in the waiting. It's never fun. But help us to realize and understand that the waiting years are not wasted years. That you're moving. That you're fixing. That, Lord, you are determining our steps during that time. And you're preparing a path before us. Paving the way. God, help us to trust that. If we truly believe that you ordain our steps, God, help us to trust in you. The season may be long, but it won't last forever. We will walk into our calling. We'll walk into our destiny. We know that we will. We'll do this a couple of ways today. First thing I want to do is if if you're here and you're in that season of waiting right now, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand high. Just saying, Pastor, I know that you're talking to me right now. I know that God's word is speaking and I'm in a season of waiting. Come on, raise it high. Raise it high. Now here's what I want you to do. With that hand raised, I want you to lift the other hand and I want you to give it to him right now. Father, as these hands raise and they surrender it to you, Help them to be patient during this season of waiting. You have not forgotten them. You have not forsaken them. God, I pray right now that you'll give them the strength that they need to wait. Your scripture says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God, as they wait, I know that you'll be faithful. You're preparing path. You're, 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 you're opening doors. God, I know you're paving the way right now. I know that you are. Sometimes we can't see it. Lord, they're surrendering that to you right now. We wait. Renew our strength, I pray, right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.